0: Welcome back to Life Beyond the Chariot, a series where we look at faith and family and just living the Catholic faith in our day-to-day lives. And we're continuing this special edition series where we're talking about NFP. And we thought it would be a really good idea to bring on Father Justin Braun, the chaplain at the St. Philip Institute, to kind of cap off this whole conversation about natural family planning, fertility awareness. Uh, so, Father Ron, will you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you, Deanna. And uh, I'm a, a priest of eight years. Uh, I was ordained in 2012 and worked with um, about 140 people plus couples in terms of preparation over the past eight years for marriage, for convalidation, and then certainly uh, had the, the great benefit of working uh, more intimately with you and uh, the, the cathedral staff over the years uh, and getting the, the marriage, the current marriage preparation process going in the Diocese of Tyler. And uh, it's been a, a great opportunity to use some of the things that I learned in seminary that kind of, you know, we, we hear, uh, I know you've probably joked about it all week, but uh, we hear terms like cervical mucus, and we're like, am hey, I ever really going to talk about that as a priest? And lo and behold, yeah, you, yeah. you do. <laughs> uh, not, not so uncommonly, actually. And uh, yeah, just have a real passion for serving families uh, at, at the local level, and, and of course, um, in the in the diocese, through the institute, I've had a great opportunity to share this kind of witness as a priest of how this is uh how this has kind of worked in my life as a priest and, and, and helping couples to prepare for marriage, and then couples who are married who maybe have struggled through the years with this difficult teaching uh, about not using contraception in in, in their marriages. And so uh, I'm thankful to you for reaching out to me uh to give me the opportunity to address some of this maybe from the priest perspective and hopefully help some of our our listeners to understand more deeply why Father has such a concern about what does happen in their bedroom.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we're very fortunate in our diocese to have some wonderful and holy priests, and mm-hmm. Father Braun is a big part of our marriage formation retreats too, but I know one question that might come to mind, so we're talking about NFP, but I'm talking to a priest, so Father, why, why should priests even care about NFP, or what what business do you have talking about fertility awareness?
1: So yeah, this is always a fun one, and I'll preface it by saying uh, I've been familiar with NFP for about twenty years. I have two older sisters who are married and who have had a number of children, and one of my are my oldest nephew. He's got two of his own children, so I, I've I've been around this question at a familial level uh, that for that length of time. But uh, but really what one of the things that our professor at seminary stressed us who was a layman and who' was married uh, dr. Perry Cowhall is that we we intersect with people throughout our lives as priests in some of the most intimate areas of their lives um, obviously uh, a funeral a marriage um, the gift of giving a, a child first communion these are major sacramental moments but but it's really, it's in a lot of other ways that we end up intersecting with people. You know, when they call and say, father, I just need to talk like, okay, I kind of know that this is not going to be, Hey, I just got free Chick-fil-A. It's going to be something more intense and more interesting. And so in order for me to be able to speak to the challenges of being a woman, the challenges of being a married couple challenges, of being a husband, um, I need to be intimately familiar with, with the things that you, that you do or don't know and how to respond in the moment. And so uh, the priest has a responsibility also to, to teach the truths of the church uh, that Christ handed on to us. And obviously, uh, contraception is not a word that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ used himself. Um, but we certainly see in the context of our Lord's life and the immediacy of the apostolic age that the christian witness of the dignity of every human life was at the forefront that we were those people who took the children that were unwanted we were the the people who took you know it didn't matter slave or free jew or greek we everybody was welcome in the house um but there was there was a need to understand why do we value every person and and so coming at this from the priestly perspective with couples and, and and the chances I've had, it's always to emphasize, I need to know about this and talk to you about this because I know how intimately it impacts your life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of what we've discussed this week is NFP as fertility awareness and not just like postponing or achieving pregnancy, mm-hmm. but really as looking at the, the whole person and a method of women's health. Um, and talking to Dr. Joe, Jo, um, even talking with Mickey about her struggles with infertility. So NFP is, is a way for us to live out um, this call to respect the dignity of the human person, like you were saying. Um, and also like this concept of responsible parenthood, because I feel like when people hear that the church is against contraception, the immediate thought is, well, the church just wants me to have 10 kids. Mm isn't true right so can you explain this concept of responsible parenthood and like why why does the church even care if i'm using contraception or not yeah
1: and, and i'll i'll preface it with just a, a quick point that you know the, the issue with contraception at a very fundamental level and i know probably this has been a reiterated time and again but it needs to always be Kind of at the forefront of our mind is that it, it separates the unitive and the procreative action of sexual intimacy of intercourse. And anything that's introduced into the life of a couple that's going to separate that unitive and procreative aspects uh, is not good. It's unnatural. That's the, I mean, at a very basic level, it introduces disorder into something that is ordered. And so we see, you know, that's how we talk about sin is this disorder. Um, and the church cares because we care about every human being so radically that we are willing to, you know, pick it and stand up and fight for the, the infant in the womb and for the person who's uh, being pushed into assisted suicide and everywhere in between. Uh, so we want to understand that, that, that this, the framework of this whole conversation about why is contraception not right is because it, it separates at a deep level physiologically, psychologically, and emotionally, and obviously spiritually, the unitive and procreative act. And so when we talk about responsible parenthood, you know, people sometimes hear those words and they think, oh, well, he's just talking about, or she's just talking about spacing. Well, no, if that's all that it took to be a responsible parent was spacing out kids, well, I mean, I can tell you right now, my sister who had six and nine years, she would not be considered a responsible parent. But she's 40 years old. She hasn't had a kid in 11 years. Her six children are all doing really well. Um, I think she and my brother-in-law are great parents and very responsible. Their openness to life did not cease 11 years ago, but recognizing the conditions of their life, they're 30 and 32 years old, had six children. It was not very reasonable to say, hey, let's go ahead and have more kids. Um, because of a a number of factors that we'll talk a little bit about this afternoon. But uh, that idea of responsible parenthood is understanding that you as parents, as a husband and a wife, to whether you have one, two, or ten children, you have a responsibility to be the best parent you can be to those children. Um, And the church's understanding of this is usually kind of put in the context of of some parameters, like, okay, if, if a ch- another child is going to cause undue physiological, biological harm to a woman, then that woman and that man, that husband and wife, need to talk to their priest about, hey, Father, last time I, I had a kid, the doctor said, you know, you are extremely susceptible to type two diabetes if you conceive again, you may have to, you very likely will have to have a C-section um, and you're gonna have probably three to six months of bed rest if, if you conceive again. Does that mean that, that those parents have the right to say, no, we're not gonna have any more kids? No, but it does mean that they have, they have a reasonable understanding of what their, their, their situation is they need to go take it to a spiritual director, like I said, their priest, um, and just have that conversation. Father, help us to discern uh, if we're being selfish or if we're being reasonable and selfless yeah, in, in yeah. this moment. And and I think that's kind of if I, if I was gonna rewrite all the encyclicals and everything, I would say, what is responsible parenthood? It's a master course on selfishness or selflessness. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that's that's kind of the, the, the zeitgeist that we have to deal with is that a, a mother and a father, like you and your wonderful husband have four beautiful children, um, you have to make the decisions to be selfish in some ways to say, okay, right now, we we are not going to, it's not reasonable maybe for us to bring another child into the world. And and here's some reasons that are pretty strong why um, I could be totally, you know, out, outside of my comfort zone and say like, oh, but we'll, we'll just leave it to God and he'll figure it out. Well, God gives us reason, right? He gives us intelligence to use um, and, to, and to take that conversation of what's reasonable. And when I say selfish, it's not selfish to say no to conceiving a child right now. It's selfish when you say, you know, we're not going to have any more children because we've got our 2.3, we've got our two dogs right. and I want to go on big vacations every year. Right. Um, that is selfishness. I mean, to a T, right. uh, but understanding that a responsible, a sense of responsible parenthood is always going to be in the context of real life. You know, so it's not some hypothetical.
0: Right. It's going to be,
1: in the, it's going to be in the context of what is psychologically, physiologically, emotionally, spiritually reasonable, um, and the church does speak about the reasonable consideration of finances. Even that, like, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're dirt poor and you've got two minimum wage jobs and you've already got two kids, bringing more children into the world may be very stressful and hard for you. And the Lord will help you. We do believe that. Oh yeah. But we don't believe in a prosperity gospel. We don't believe that. Right. Okay, you have that third kid. All of a sudden, gold coins right. are raining down in your house. <laughs> Because that's unreasonable. Um, so the church just wants to always bring this this conversation of responsible parenthood into the moral realm, um, the psychological realm to understand uh, the goods of the of the mother, the goods of the father, the goods of the family them, themselves, and and to bring that conversation out of the darkness, which is I think mm. where I, I so often feel pain, is that I know families who have felt um, frightened to say, you know, we can't have kids right now because there's kind of this Catholic shame, like, oh, you've just got to have more and more and more kids. Hmm. And it's like, "Mm, no, that's (laughs) not what the church teaches. And and so giving them an open space where they feel comfortable, sincerely, like a, a husband and wife should feel very comfortable to come to their priest and say, Father, we're just worn out. I mean, with the Jim Gaffigan joke, what's it like having five ch- children? It's having four children, you're drowning, and then somebody hands you a baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that, that's <laughs> <it's> a pretty <laughs> accurate, <laughs> accurate description. Um, you know, you need to feel comfortable to have that conversation with your priest and talk about, okay, what, what's going on? But also understanding that your priest is not going to tell you, you know what? You should probably get on contraceptives because that'll help you guys to avoid pregnancy no i mean father can't do that that's immoral um but also you know i'm rambling here a little bit but one of the things that i i always say to the guys when i'm having this conversation with men and women I, i i usually do leave the girl like this is during the interview that i'm just talking to the guy for a little bit i'll say um listen bro like one of the things that you have no idea about because nobody's ever probably talked to you about this is that most chemical contraceptives are considered class one carcinogens that means you're you 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 willingly or unwillingly one way or the other could be potentially basically injecting your wife with cigarettes for the rest of her life that's that's the equivalent um and and nobody has ever told you that so i'm just letting you know that that you've got to think about that like do i want to be part of a, a life where I'm, in a sense, poisoning my own wife and her body for the sake of avoiding pregnancy. And, and that that's just one way in which we can kind of open up a bigger conversation about this. But it tends to get to the heart of the matter because then they're like, oh, gosh, like, I don't know theology. I don't know philosophy, but that sounds bad. I'm like, yeah, yeah. it is. It's not good.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And you, you said so many awesome things. But one thing that I, I think is so great about being like is that it's not as though the church gives us this book and just says okay to be a good Catholic um, couple you have to have this many children and you have them perfectly spaced two years apart and for some reason I had that in my mind when we got married like okay we're gonna use NFP our kids will be perfectly spaced two years apart that's a whole other story Uh, but the church does encourage us and that's the big difference between NFP and contraception is that with NFP like, there's this openness to life always. Mm-hmm. If I'm in my fertile or infertile phase, if we send out an invitation and God decides to respond to it, um, then we've been open to that. Um, and that God is part of the conversation. And I think that that is where um, folks get hung up sometimes, is allowing God to discern with us. Because I know for us, we can get very zoned in to like, okay, we have to figure this out. We have to figure out how, to, how adding another child is going to affect. Right like taking the time for prayer. So I know this is one question that comes up a lot, like in our uh, retreats for engaged couples, like how do you know when the right time to have kids is, or when to add the next child? Like what's the magic formula, Mm. figuring that out?
1: Well, to to dispel, and you've heard me say this before, but right away, (laughs) there's no right time. I mean, let's just be real, like, you're adding another human being to your life, yep. uh, which comes with all sorts of responsibility. Uh, it's not a dog that's going to die in seven to 12 years. God willing, your child's going to live a long life, and you're going right. to be there the whole way through. Right. Um, so the, the notion that there's going to be a perfect time is is, is hogwash. I mean, yeah. I, 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 there's other colloquialisms in these Texas I'd like to use, but <laughs> we'll just call it hogwash. So... Um, but when's the right time to have a baby is, is a question that, yes, we get every time we go through a marriage retreat. Um, and, and I think people in general always kind of just, okay, they, they, they approach it with this mentality is we need to be out of debt. We need to be in our first or maybe even our second home or in our first or second condo or whatever. Um, we need to have had two to three years of just living together and been on some sweet Instagram vacations and all these things. Well, all of those things really boil down to your comfort Mm. as a human being and as an individual. All of those questions didn't say, okay, God, when do you want us to have kids? We've got this new marriage, this awesome thing where two flesh become one, but we're going to kind of say no to that whole one unitive aspect, um, except so that we can, you know, feel good. We're going to do it with contraception. Um, and that—that's again right away. You're you're starting out at the gates with a with a selfish mentality that this this is about us and about our pleasure. Um, so the notion that we've got to have all these things in place is, is kind of the first premise I want to knock out. The second one is that there is a right time in a woman's life or in a man's life in their career where all of this makes sense. Um, so. Anecdotal information, I know, is challenging, but it, it just—I do think it helps kind of color what's going on in people's lives. So, at at this current time, when we're recording this on Friday, the seventeenth of July, as far as I know, nobody in this St. Philip Institute staff is pregnant. Uh, as far as I know. As far as I uh, know. <laughs> but within the past eighteen months, we've had—I think three, three,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: three—and three a grandbaby. Like uh, we've had. We've had some new, uh, some new life brought to the table. Um, and did anybody in our staff seem like they were just right at the right time? Like, okay, we're going to no. know. Um, because that's crazy, because there's not a right time. Now, each of those couples had to have individual conversations about what they were doing, obviously, that they were open to life. But understanding that that was the conversation, and that's what I, I do want to encourage is to kind of take a, uh, this premise of we don't need to, we don't need to do this until we're at the right time. Well, are you even discussing it with your husband? You know, yeah. have you and your husband engaged in that conversation or is it always just, okay, when Deanna's ready to have a baby, that's when we're having a baby. Well, no, that's, that's selfish. Right. right? And that's not open to the leadership of your husband and in, in leading your family. Um, and are we open to talking to, to God about this? Like, okay, we've we've got the checks and balances. We kind of know where we sit at a human level, so we're going to make all of our decisions based off of that. But no, our Lord says, "Come to me in prayer, mm. and I will give you I will give you rest." And so we have to have that mindset that this this is a three to get married and stay married mentality. Um, and so to just kind of dispel the myth of a right time. Now, don't have a baby um, in the middle of You know maybe three job changes and two location changes like be reasonable about that if you if you anticipate in the next six months you're going to change jobs move um and you're going to have to you know go through all that headache it may be reasonable to to not um you know or to postpone pregnancy but again when you get to that point, are you just going to set up a new set of field goals? Right. Your in right. field? Well, when we get there, we'll be, no, yeah. you can't, you can't keep kicking the can down the road.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I know for, for like, and you know, Michael and I, and, and our, uh, our story and mm-hmm. there are pregnancies that we may not have planned, but I mean, you know, our kids, I can't imagine, I cannot mm-hmm. imagine our family without any of them mm-hmm. and, while some of them i'm like whoa that was not on my radar <laughs> At the t- right i'm so glad that god is smarter than diana's plans um and that they're here and god is so faithful I, I feel like that's one thing that nfp has taught us is that ultimately it is it's a matter of of trusting that god knows better that yes we're called to responsible parenthood we're called to discern um, and ultimately, like by us just being open and using those gifts wisely, God is faithful and He will provide. And not that it's a prosperity gospel, like you were saying, but just trusting that if God is calling us to to have another little Johnston, that he, mm-hmm. and we've we've seen that um, in our own journey. Uh, I know we're kind of wrapping up the conversation, but I know that there are folks out there, Catholics, and really striving to live the church's teachings but this is a hard hard Mm -hmm. for a lot of folks and what encouragement can you offer to a couple who's just like you know we we want to be faithful to the church or maybe not even understanding why the church has any business um about this particular topic so if someone is wrestling with the church's teaching on marriage or openness to life what, what encouragement can you offer to
1: them? Well, I think of a few options that, you know, are, are, hard to reach sometimes, but really helpful. One is to, is to befriend couples who, you know, are open to life, um, mm-hmm. and, and who are following the, te- the, the teachings of the church, because there is a, a, a really strong tribalism that kind of divides, you know, we're seeing it in politics right now, big time, mm-hmm. right? yeah. Um, and, and we're, we're this beautiful Catholic church that's small in many ways all over the United States, but in places it's much bigger. But um, who, who are you relating to? Because if you're relating to the couples that you know contracept, that you know basically are going to have two kids, uh, their replacements, um, that they're going to buy the boat, that they're going to get the lake house, and that they have really no desire to move beyond that then you're not even relating to people who are actually open to this conversation. Um, and that, and that means you're staying in your silo. You know, if, if you are struggling with this, you're, you're, instead of choosing the other side and saying, I'll listen, say, no, I'm going to stay kind of in my shelter. Um, and so getting out, of your own comfort zone and talking to people about this in a real way and having some real conversations is really the first place. Because as as Christ modeled to us, it's about relationships. And if we don't have good relationships with people who are living authentically, the teachings of the church, then it's really hard to have an idea of what that even looks like, right? So that, that's number one. The second one is, is to realize that, okay, the joke is always, what does a celibate man have? What business does a celibate man have? have? talking to married couples um we actually have a lot in common a lot in common as married people and celibate uh, you know celibate religious celibate priests um the church you know actually categorizes us both as sacraments of service who's that service to that service is to god first and foremost but to the world we're called to be witnesses to the world by a radical way of living and so as I embrace, you know, as poorly as it feels like sometimes, as I embrace chaste celibacy, that means I don't date and I'm not married and I don't do anything to relieve, you know, to live that sexual fantasy life. Like I, I live chastity as well as humanly possible that you too are called to live chastely. Like within your marriage, it's not, hey, here's, now that you're married, just go do whatever you want, whatever right. you want. Right. Um, that, no, you're actually called to live a radical chastity with one person for the remainder of your life. And so we're both called into this, this beautiful life of service to the world, to be witnesses or icons, to, to show Christ to the world. And one of the ways in which we do that is through our sexual nature. Uh, I, in renouncing uh, the, the goods of uh, of family life and my own children in a way show to the world what Christ showed the world that living for God alone is enough. And you and your husband uh, and all married couples reveal that unique love that like our blessed mother and St. Joseph, they had that intimate love for one another and reveal to the world what that married life looks like. Now we know Mary and Joseph, were not having sex. Uh, <laughs> make sure everybody that's real right. clear. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> that's clear, but what they were doing was living perfect chastity with each other for the entirety of their life together. um, Recognizing that God had a specific plan for them, but they had to still live chastely And St. Joseph. He's not immaculately conceived. He's not free from original sin. Like he had to really dig in the struggle and say, Oh, the most beautiful woman in the world. I know that God loves her and that I need to respect her. Um, And so we we each in our you know in our individual vocations reveal more about the mystery of God Himself and the mystery of what it means to be a saint. So I think understanding that our relationship as clergy or religious and and married people really is to be uh, in a lot of ways we mirror each other just in distinguished ways. Um, so have a good relationship. What's all that mean? Have a good relationship with your priest. Talk to him about these things. We spend six to eight years of our life studying and then then we get ordained and we start studying even more and we have the real life experience to go with this conversation to talk about okay we get the challenge of this teaching um but here's some things that we need to consider and here's why the church is kind of coming from this angle um so the the last thing i'd say on that is just okay um because we live in america and we we do have a really, really low birth rate. Like there was really damning evidence that just came out recently from, um, I don't remember which study, but like the whole world has a really low birth rate yep. and there's concern like, okay, population control, like, a uh, five years ago was, oh, the world's overpopulated. Now they are like, there may not be, you know, but, Five or six million people in about fifty to a hundred years because we're not reproducing. Right. Um, but being aware of what's going on in the culture, knowing that in American culture we do have a, a, a very strong aversion to big families. Um, we see we see that the 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 advertising is really catered towards a two family two child household. You'll occasionally see that commercial with three, um, but realizing that. Even in those three, that, that may be what God wants for that family, and the, those three or the, that one is, is what God wants for that family, that, that family is irreplaceable. Uh, and that any husband and wife who, by the grace of God, can bring children into the world, you are bringing an irreplaceable person into the world and into the family of God through baptism. Uh, what a gift! Uh, what a gift. So to not see this burden of kind of not using contraception as a punishment, but really seeing it as more openness to participating in the gifthood that Christ gives us through himself. And that you get to be part of that gift in a really awesome way that I don't, <laughs> and, but I, but I want to encourage all, you know, all couples to see, Oh yeah, that's, that's what this means. I get to be part yeah. of that that great mission.
0: So. Oh, that's awesome. Thoughts? That's awesome. Last question. Uh, you're a, you're a reader. So any books yeah. recommend, uh, for, yeah, for any like diving deeper into church teaching or, um, just your sure. conversation on marriage and sexuality.
1: Yeah. Um, I do like, uh, I, I really like the Gosh, it's Men, Women, and um, the Mystery yes, of the Love simple. by yes. Edward Sree um, because he's breaking down a book by JP2 that's real dense uh, <laughs> and Love and Responsibility, and it's really awesome, but uh, it's a little little tough. Um, so, Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love. But, but what I like at what Ted does there is he breaks down some of the the problems that we even have in our understanding of just relationships. Like, uh, he, he kind of goes through this, uh, you know, useful utilitarian relationships, symbiotic relationships, and then mutually loving relationships and and understanding that at the heart of the question of contraception and why not, you know, as Jan Smith famously uh, wrote is, is a relationship between a man and a woman. And, that if we can understand what the beauty of that relationship is really has the potential for, obviously life's part of that, in that relationship that that will help because the husband and wife will see each other, not as, you know, competitors, but as partners, as friends, not enemies. Um, and ultimately as procreators, as, you know, co co creators with God. Um, so men, women in the mystery of love, I did, I try to remember off the top of my head. Um, Simca Fisher had that book a couple years. Yes, yeah, Sitter's
0: yeah, Guide so to Natural Family Planning. Yeah,
1: I, I think it's really good. There's some there's some things in there that are a little little hard to hear, and maybe some tongue in cheek things that Simca got away with that I, I don't know if we could even say now, but uh, I do think <laughs> it's a it's a helpful book. Um, yeah. And then um, I, you've probably talked about her a little bit already, but you know the blogosphere world and what what women and men are doing together. Um, our friend Emily Frazee um what she's what she's compiled over the past few years oh, for, to really help people engage these questions. And that's the thing, is just yeah, you can watch videos like this, which are I hope are helpful. Um and you can read, um, but having those conversations, like being able to have that intimate one-on-one. So maybe you read the book or have a study group with some other young couples, uh, with Ted Sree's book, Men, Women of the Mystery of Love, or with Simca Fisher's, because it's a study guide. Uh, she wants you to be asking questions. Um, but but we be willing to take the knowledge to prayer, obviously, first and foremost, um, but take it into a conversation with another person or another group.
0: That's awesome. Father, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Will you close this out with a prayer and a blessing?
1: Absolutely. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God Almighty Father, you've given us the great gift of marriage to reveal to us. In a more deep and profound way, the triune God and the love that knows no bounds. We pray, O Lord, for all married couples, all engaged couples, and those who will be married, that they will know the dignity of their vocation and live it out with ever greater fervor. And through the intercession of Mary, our mother, St. Joseph, her spouse, and all married saints, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Father.
1: You're welcome. Thank you. God bless you.